for me especially, what really gave me hope from the series of images that I took is the younger generation of all colors, of, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, their, their sense of trying to do what's right is, is something that I will forever be in awe of. So hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Partners in Time. Today, I'm joined by photographer, creator, entrepreneur, and recently appointed chair of the South Bank Center, Misan Harriman, um, an inspirational, inspirational creator, um, who also we were lucky enough has shot our recent campaign with Lewis Hamilton. We're going to touch on that in a minute. But I was just thinking, Misan, first of all, welcome. And it's really great to have you on the podcast. How are you? Really good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I mean, it just came to me earlier when I was, was looking into what we're doing today. I realized I, last time we met was actually at the BFI dinner in 2019 um, in London. And I mm -hmm. think you told me at the time about creating your online space, what we see, mm -hmm. which is going to mm -hmm. be all about bringing uplifting and positive stories to the internet rather than hatred and extremism and, and sort of uh, sh shock messages. Mm -hmm. um, of course, none of us uh, could foresee uh, at that time what sort of a year we were just about to have uh, mm -hmm. from, from COVID to George Floyd to everything else now leading into what's currently happening in Afghanistan. I mean, the world has, has changed quite a bit. How has it been for you? Well, I remember that night very well because I was charmed by both you and, and the wonderful Mr. Dev Patel. Um, yes. And it, it was a wonderful evening. When it's the considerably world... more charming than me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Close call. Um, you know, the, the world was, was normal-ish. Um, and what proceeded to happen not long after that was um, everything really going upside down. So um, if, if, if you think of us human beings, homo sapiens, as an operating system, none of us had the the ios the operating system to even begin to be prepared for what COVID 19 would do to our lives and then as a person of color as a black man um the additional trauma of of the murder of george floyd and that unlocking um so much um purpose is, is if, if i'm looking at it positively mm. but also a lot of what i as an adult have been hiding in, in plain sight for so long. Mm. So it was an extraordinary um, change of events that I could never have predicted. Yeah, and of course, for you also personally, I mean, you also took some pictures during this time, which really, <laughs> really uh, shot to prominence in an extraordinary way to talk us a little bit through it. Yeah, you know, my wife, um, and you know, she's my, my North Star and an anchor in just about everything that I do. And um, I struggle with um, self-doubt and imposter syndrome. I know I'm not alone in this. And um, mm. she was the first person to get me a camera. Um, not that long ago, actually. But when, when George, um, George Floyd was killed and we saw everything on the news, I, I remember looking at her and saying that I, I have no more tears. You know, I, 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 my well is dry. Um, I don't know what to do anymore. And, you know, she's a very pragmatic Swedish woman. And she looked at me and she said, look, look, look at your camera. You know, it will give you the answers. So I picked up my, you know, my camera and I, I went down to Hyde Park uh, in central London and um, didn't know whether I would see five people or 5,000. Mm. 
And over the next two months, um, I proceeded to be the custodian, if you like, of truth. And I hope the images that I captured show the, the very best of who we can be when we are one. They show um, the empathy and solidarity of the majority of good folk. And that for me, especially, what really gave me hope from the series of images that I took is the younger generation of all colors, of, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, their, their sense of trying to do what's right is, is something that I will forever be in awe of. And, and hopefully that's why people have responded the way they, they have done to these images. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, as you said, it was, and we've heard this word many, for me, it's definitely the word of 2020 was unprecedented because literally mm. <laughs> every sentence started or ended with, with one of those. Uh, but clearly in, in this intense period, I think when people, there was a lot of anxiety um, out mm. in the world. And I think there was also, you could see that people's reaction were quite a lot more pronounced. And then you had those horrible scenes of, of what happened to George Floyd and, and many different events following on from that. And first of all, I think for, for many of us, it, it, it was a shock to realize and to learn, to, to be educated about how deep-rooted uh, a problem um, of racism still is, even you know, in the heart of Europe, when... I, you know, I, I was personally, I was, I was quite surprised by the extent of it. And also speaking to Lewis uh, last year, who talked a lot about the realities of, of what it meant for him uh, growing up in Stevenage and his first days into racing, et cetera. And it's, it's shocking to see that, of, of course, for, for you and many others, this, this was a daily reality, uh, which yeah. is, which is um, um, re really quite, quite upsetting. And then you think we've made or you hope we would have made uh, a lot of progress last year and through this entire period. And then we've seen the scenes during the, uh, after the uh, final in Wembley when, you know, with mm. Marcus Rashford, et cetera, we, we saw that exact same vile abuse all over again. When, when you mm. think like, I, just, I sometimes find it literally incomprehensible that we, we're still at this stage when the world has so many, you know, threats to grasp with that we're still turning on to each, on each other like that. And, how do you see that? Well, I mean, where do I start? I, I had the pleasure of um, photographing Lewis twice. Mm. Uh, the first time was with uh, British GQ for his Man of the Year cover, and then secondly with you. And I had the, the great honor in both opportunities to talk to him candidly about both our lived experience, but also what this moment means. And, you know, I want to take this moment um, to applaud him, not for what he's done on the track, um, what he's done off the track, but somebody with the reach that he has is, is something that will, will, would be a legacy that is beyond any kind of accomplishment in F1. And that's something I've said openly, and I know that's something he believes. And I think, why would he do this when so many others that are at this sort of level that Lewis is? It's because he has that lived experience, you know. Mm. As you said, growing up in Stevenage, you know, his father saying, do your, do, do your talking on the track, um, struggling in school, similar to what I have done, you know. Um, he was othered for a big part of his life until the genius of what he can do came out. Now, factoring in um, that sport 
is the greatest potential unifier. What you said about Marcus Rashford and his, his, you know, the other players and the response from England is, is utterly heartbreaking. But also I think it's important because it allows us to recognize how much work we have to do. You know, if we didn't see that response um, and, and see what happened on Twitter, we would be living in this kind of blissful sense of utopia that isn't the reality for so many people that um, are, are from a diverse background. So instead of looking at the negative side of it, for me, I try and say, well, now we, you know, now a good part of people that maybe don't have the lived experience understand how much work that they need to do. Yeah. And, you know, black people cannot do this by themselves. We need people that hold the levers of power, people that can um, open the doors of opportunity for others to, to, to want to help. And if that happens, then I can see, you know, systematic change, which of course is needed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also there is this danger nowadays that, you know, with everybody having posted a black tile on Instagram, it's kind of the mm. problem is addressed, which of course, as you, as you mentioning, for the lived experience, it doesn't change anything. The next morning we're, we're back to exactly. No, no. The, the Tokenism same. is rife. You know, that there, there are many, many companies that um, have been called out for being just that. And I think... Um, that won't in this age of um the internet being so connected it's quite clear when companies corporations even governments are are, are using things for talking points uh, and it's it's um it will be called out mm. What is your feeling? I mean, there was quite, obviously it started with the um, the uh, what is it, Edward Colston, the slave trader in Bristol, with that mm. statue uh, mm. being uh, chucked into into the harbor. And of course, when when we had this discussion in in large parts of the U.S., especially in the southern states, where there's still uh, statues all over the place that are linked to either racism or slavery or oppression or, or many of these things. And obviously, it it it, it dawned on me. Um, I, I did my morning running tour the the on Monday and Tuesday through the royal parks and all of Palmar, mm. etc around uh, Kensington Palace and Buckingham Palace and you obviously realize um, it, it, there is these reminders of history everywhere and they're either mm. second world war related or to the age of colonialism and so on and of course it's it's difficult for a country to deal with like the entirety of its its own history and sort of all the identity soul searching that needs to happen there what is your view on on this this uh, whole process of dealing with history in sense of recognition and statues and how, how how's your what is your view on that well it's it's a very nuanced thing because it's um <clears throat> there are many ways to look at this but the reality is you know um the truth of our past has to be shone a light upon so we can do our best um, to not make those mistakes. Now, if we are taught things at school that are fundamentally untrue, so, you know, a great example is in my prep school, you know, I'm talking six, seven, eight years old, you know, my history teacher basically taught me to, to forget black people. He taught me to hate um, French and German people. Mm. And I, I remember coming home from half term and saying something ridiculous about mm. a French person to my mother. And my mother is a very traditional African woman turned around and said, you've never even been to France. What on earth are you talking about? Mm. And I said, well, my history teacher said, no, 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 no. And, you know, now as a, as a father, years later, I realized the gross irresponsibility to be a teacher and to, to, to put 
those kind of uh, you know draconian views into a child's mind when we are just empty capsules to be filled. Now, going back to the statues, um, the way I see this is, you know, pulling down all the statues for me is not the answer, but using them as a way to teach the truth of the past, I think is something beautiful. If you think about Winston Churchill and yeah. the many sides of the man, yeah. I think, you know, in any statue with Winston Churchill, off Winston Churchill, you can have at the front a placard talking about, you know, a great wartime leader he mm. was. Mm. On the left, you can talk about how he was a wonderfully talented painter and his time spent at Blenheim painting. Yeah, yeah. On the right, you can talk about him being a, you know, an aficionado and loving the cigar more than pretty much any human being that ever existed. <laughs> and, and then in the back... <laughs> you can talk about his well-documented views mm. on black people. Mm. And then the tourist, whoever that is, can walk around and see all these sides of Mr. Churchill and decide for him or herself what they think of this man. Mm. I would go as far as to say that they should do the same with Mahatma Gandhi, yeah. who yeah. had you know, incredibly um, disturbing views towards, towards black people as well. So instead of um, pulling down um, just inform and educate and leave it to um, the, the common man to decide for him or herself what they think of these um, big, big, big names from our history. Yeah, no, and what, what you say about your school experience is, is something that I heard from, from my wife as well. But me having mm. gone to school in Germany, I've had quite a different experience because I think a country that's gone through the sort of identity mm -hmm. trauma as Germany had to the First and Second World Wars my feeling was at least where, where I went to school that there's a very, very tolerant and self-reflective view on history being taught. Right? Mm -hmm. So we were always constantly reminded of, of all the atrocities and of the ideology that the, the ideology that went into the build-up to the Second World War. And I think there was mm -hmm. really an awareness of not starting this kind of uh, populistic propaganda against anybody. And, and I think mm -hmm. that was quite a different way of, of, of teaching kids. But yeah, I agree with you. I think teachers, especially, there's a great responsibility not to endlessly repeat these stereotypes, which mm -hmm. obviously don't help us coming together. And I think we've no, all seen no, no. that the last year and a half has been uh, <laughs> a really a backward step when it comes to our international connectedness and international mobility. I think anyone filling in a passenger locator form and booking a day two test at the moment can attest to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nothing like what we used to have. And But think, saying that, I don't think, I think that also we've had this moment of deep reflection. Yeah. And, you know, COVID-19, for, for, for what it's worth, has made us pause and look within. And I think a lot of us are actually going to come out as better human beings from this moment. And um, that's, that's, you know, maybe I'm always looking, looking at the stars from the gutter, mm. but um, I, I really do feel that, you know, I had a couple of, um, I had a catch up with some old friends I haven't seen in a long time. And they are just in, a, in terms of their mental health and, and what they, who they want to be in life. I was I was so amazed to see that you know this moment has made them really decide to try and be the best people that they can be. Yeah, no, it's 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 true that um, definitely the the noise of 2019 and before has disappeared a little bit. I think everybody had a chance to reflect and reevaluate uh, who they are, what's important in life, what their values are. 
I think probably when we saw each other last time, I was probably zoned out in some jet lag, just coming back from somewhere, <laughs> literally mm-hmm. 20 minutes before the event. You know, obviously we're a bit more conscious, I think, uh, post-pandemic. I'm just, I'm just personally concerned that there is a great sort of let's shut our borders and uh, put the blinkers on and don't let anybody in, let anybody out. You know, I think these mm-hmm. cultural exchanges changes and meeting people physically is really, really important to understanding Crucial. each other. You know, and I think it's it's we, we could do with a year of Zoom, but ultimately it's it's those experiences as you describe. You, you never haven't been to France. You know, it's it's exactly that that breaks down those barriers and breaks down those prejudices rather quickly. Well, you've got to get out there. Um, I don't know if you saw Nomadland, uh, the one of the best film. Oscar no, I haven't yet. seen that yet. Um, it's 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 you know fundamentally about a um, a widow who decides to get in her car and live traveling around America. And um, it, it, it's a great companion piece to the last 18 months that all of us have experienced. And another reminder, as, as you say, of, of what it means to have real human connection. Um, so um, I, I strongly recommend you watch that when Absolutely. you have a moment. See, I used to watch everything on in-flight entertainment, but that's kind of gone as well. No, that's gone. I'm waiting that's for gone. Mr. Biden to, to open up the Esther travel so we can <laughs> get back to that. But let's talk a little bit about photography. I mean, obviously, you've had some amazing moments in terms of your photographic career since, since 2019. And obviously, one of those uh, would have been your remote picture taking of uh, Harry, Harry and Meghan's um, baby announcement. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that... Um um, the COVID has done is, you know, you can't physically be in the place you need to be to even do a photo shoot. And, um, you know, the necessity is the mother of all invention. And I, I started looking for people that are far smarter than me, um, that have built technology applications that I could use to, to, to take a halfway decent photograph. And I found a, a wonderful company called Shutter App. Mm that uh, basically allows you to take over, a, you know, an iOS device and you can hear my voice. And then I, when I press the shutter button, um, it, it, it takes a picture on, on the other phone or iPad. And it was, it was uh, the, the, really the only option for me to, to be able to capture, you know, this incredibly special moment for the Duke and Duchess. And, um, you know, f- technology prevailed and um, we were able to capture you know, um, intimate um, and honest moments of their life for the world to to see and support and enjoy. So was somebody holding the iPad the other end or was that literally yeah, yeah, a yeah, tripod? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You can either have an old tripod or somebody can hold it. And I prefer if somebody's holding it because then I can obviously give more direction. That's a little bit easier. <laughs> I mean, in, in my probably not so professional photographic environment here, I had one of those experiences with a Mexican journalist doing a remote photo shooting while, <laughs> while I was holding the iPad via it's a tough. Zoom connection and there were screenshots being taken. I tell you what, that oh was the God. most surreal photography experience I have ever had. I think in the end, the final shots, I was probably resting on a pile of books and then leaning onto the windowsill trying to balance the iPad with the other Oh hand. my God. And well, that's another tip. That's another tip. Use the shutter app because it, it yeah. makes it uh, higher quality. Thank you. You're about a year late with this one. But <laughs> By now we're taking actual physical photos again. But I tell you, this was surreal. I think people who looked from my office window, they were like, what is he doing? It's looked absolutely wrong. Well, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to do these things again, uh, for, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, during, during the entire sort of Black Lives Matter uh, movement, um, mm. 
how how is it i mean of course you're you're experiencing this moment but being there as a photographer and trying to capture it gives it it's a whole different dimension of it what was your journey through that oh, i mean i i grew up uh worshiping filmmakers and mm. photographers i you know would give talks about you know Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick because I love the lighting yeah. so much in it. I've always been that guy. And um, then I discovered the photography of um, Monita Sleet Jr. and Gordon Parks in particular and the civil rights images taken in, at, in that moment in America. Um, I never dreamt that I would um, end up being holding the camera in the streets of London shooting um, the biggest wave of civil rights um, in modern history. And um, what was it like? I was shooting my own trauma. Yeah. I, I was shooting people who I knew exactly in broad strokes what they've been through. And I think there's a level of trust that is given from the subject to me that you can feel in those images there are many people that I photographed where I didn't have to ask if it was okay. They looked at me and they're like, do right mm. by this image. Mm. Do right. I'm giving you my pain. Share it with the world so the world can try and make that pain go away. That was what I was doing with that camera. And what was the mood like in, in, in those days? Because obviously none of us could ever really be there. And I'm obviously here very, very far removed in Switzerland. But could you feel the, the energy in the street? Was there a moment there? Did you feel that people were coming together? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, you know, the, the um, younger generation uh, who amazingly have less resources um, than us um, have managed to galvanize this sense of empathy empathy led protest that it gave them so much strength to get organized to do health and safety especially a lot of young black women who were organizing a lot of the black lives matter protests these are 19 year old girls with 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 really you know not much but their their sense of forging ahead And it, it grew and grew and grew into something that was so huge. So the energy of them, but also the older generation that came out. And you, you have to understand, you know, I was shooting some men and women in their 60s <clears throat> who have had a life of of so many, you know, I call it death by a thousand cuts. So many humiliating experiences that is a black experience in many parts of the modern world. And the first time in their life, they stood in front of 5,000 people. Of, of all walks of life that are fighting for their rights. I mean, do you know what it is to, to, to witness that? It was, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, honestly. And, um, I, I hope, you know, the, the thousands of pictures that I've taken will, will stand testimony to this because human beings can have very short memories. So I'm so glad I was there. And I talk to my wife about this all the time saying, you know, at least if things go backwards, I can use these pictures to, to remind us how we must move forwards. Absolutely. And then, of course, came a September Vogue cover as well. I mean, that's just from a photography career perspective. That's, that's amazing as well. Huh? To, to, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, you can't make up my last 18 months. Uh, 
Um, if anyone um, listening to this podcast, and I, I, I say this with from the deepest recesses of my heart, is um, is having a moment of um, questioning their their purpose. I say I'm a living, breathing example of what it is to take the road less traveled. Mm. You know, at 40 years old, I picked up a camera. And, um, you know, at 43 now, I'm amongst the most visible image makers on earth, having made history a couple of times. And it is a, a, a testament to listening to your inner child. I, I always say the only failure in life is not to try. So if you are listening, and whether it's painting, tap dancing, whatever you, you loved, whatever that whisper within yourself is trying to tell you, listen to it and try. And that's exactly what led me here. I can only confirm that. And I, it's, it's definitely one of those things that uh, a lot of young people ask me as well when they're trying to build their careers and what they, should they do and this course or that course. I, I often remind people that... The most important thing is is a is a curiosity and and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a and a drive to discover um, and and ultimately a passion because as you say with picking up a camera I mean if I picked up a camera I probably would be pretty useless but you know if if you have the eye for it if you have the the feel and the passion for it, everything can be taught you know it's just to find that curiosity to go after something I think this is ultimately where you'll succeed and, and as you say there's there's going to be a many obstacles and failures on the way but but ultimately this is what keeps people going this is what i absolutely recommend as well every single time don't try to build a career path try and go after the things that that make you inquisitive the things that attract your attention the things where you have a passion and and and, and develop that absolutely we touched on it briefly earlier this whole i mean obviously a massive change in the world of art and photography with the introduction of blockchain based digital certificates and, and all of the nfts and we, we you mentioned something about you know the, the changing world of of auctioning as well for for artists so talk us a little bit through that because i'm sure that a lot of our listeners don't have an insight into that world and and, and how that's changing Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a mild revolution happening um, with what uh, a non-fungible token is. And fundamentally, an NFT is the ability to confirm uh, provenance and ownership of anything uh, onto a given blockchain. And in regards to arts, it basically means that any artist, whether you're a painter or photographer or even a singer or dancer, can now decide to mint your work onto a blockchain and have irrevocable proof that it is your work and have scarcity um, of it because you can decide how many of these uh, projects exist. And most importantly, they have an inbuilt smart contract that has a royalty, which means that you will receive payment in any secondary sales that happen in perpetuity. So in very basic terms, If I sell a photograph in the real world today, the person that buys it tomorrow can sell it for 10 billion pounds and I would receive nothing. If that happened as an NFT, I would receive 10 One to billion 15 pounds. percent. <laughs> yeah. which, 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 you know, I don't know about you. Kind of feels like <laughs> that a, sounds a, the a, idea. <laughs> a, a, decent, a decent way to go about one's business. Um, and the third and final thing about NFT art is a democratization of opportunity, mm. merit-based opportunity. I have personally collected um, NFTs from people in Thailand, 
all across Africa, parts of India, where me spending even $25 on their work is potentially a life-changing opportunity for them. And, you know, they would never have this opportunity in real life. Some of those artists, some of those artists I initially started collecting have become massively collectible and you know people are selling their pieces for 10,000 20,000 euros now and you can imagine what that kind of money will do to somebody in in parts of the developing world yeah without a a you know a curator from london mm. telling us how great he or she is and making an 80% decided, cut yeah, yeah. <laughs> we uh, yeah exactly we've decided <laughs> The, 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 the person that sees the art, that I like that and I want to support this artist. So the merit-based opportunity in, for, for, for art is, is, a, is a huge one. And then uh, people will talk about environmental issues with mining. And I would say this, that if you look at what's happening, there are already two or three um, new blockchains. There are already what you call side chains mm. um, of the main Uh, blockchain for art, which is called Ethereum, that are, you know, 70, 80% um, less harmful to the environment as they initially were. So people are already working on making it uh, a more sustainable business. Yeah. No, what you mentioned exactly, that the, the whole concept of uh, democratization of that process, I think it also relates to many other aspects of design because somebody who deals a lot uh, with IP, uh, like we do here at IWC, you know, that it is such a mess in the traditional legal system because there's well, a mess is an exaggeration, but it's on many um, elements of uh, design, it is very difficult to have actual copyright because of the, you know, perceived similarity of some features, etc. And my hope is obviously that NFT um, will again, by logging the moment of creation correctly in a blockchain, will mm -hmm. clear up a lot of those questions of what is the original, what is the copy. And I think we see it in, in fashion all over the place where, as you say, at the end of the day, it's one thing that people want to emulate uh, great trends and designs that others have created. But if it means that the original creator of an idea loses out completely and everybody else gets rich copying, it's, it's a problem. there's something fundamentally wrong with that. <laughs> yes. So I think if blockchain technology can help us to, to really protect uh, an original creation from the start, and as you say, create a royalty-based system where um, the original inventor can actually benefit from their creation, then that surely must be a good thing. And I think, again, it's, it's one of those things where... Digital technology has actually brought a very uh, positive change, hopefully, to, to the creative world. Um, yeah, yeah, very exciting. I can't wait to see what IWC does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me and all, me and all. So now, obviously, you've got a new job as well, I've heard. <laughs> I've got a few like, hats. Like, <laughs> like you need one. But tell us a little bit about South Bank Centre and your role there. Yeah, I, again... Again, to people that are listening, this is this is what I mean about taking that road less traveled because, you know, I'm a university dropout that is neurodiverse and massively dyslexic and I'm sure a whole bunch of other things. And for a long time, I hated my mind. I never thought my mind was worth anything. And um, if you're going to tell me then, you know, that I would become, you know, uh, I'll be leading Europe's largest multi-art center, I would have laughed at you. Mm. Um, the, the South Bank Centre was set up at the Festival of Britain um, over 70 years ago as a tonic for the nation to help us rebuild through art to also, again, democratize the opportunity of what art should be for uh, this great nation. And, um, you know, 70 years later, um, after we've been through 
again, collective trauma, um, the arts, culture um, is needed more than any, any time in my lifetime, at least. And um, I'm there to amplify all the great things it already does from having all the, um, the, the, the amazing classical music shows and orchestras in the Royal Festival Hall to the Haywood Gallery and uh, the curated uh, contemporary art shows that it is so well known for to the skate park, you know, which, which, which to me is as important as any of the, the shows that we have inside, um, you know, so, you know, street culture, um, it's all a melting pot of who, who we are, um, in London and, and Great Britain. And I'm really, really there to shout from the rafters about how amazing this place is and, 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 you know, drive it forward into this new digital realm that we're all living through, but also to make sure that we never lose um, that sense of being the custodian of art for all. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important. It's one of the things that throughout my education I always found is is problematic in many places with art when it becomes too elitist and it's it perceived mm. as not accessible and it's not, there's no attempt to try and translate that beyond the intellectual elite that, you know, studies art in depth. And it's always one of those things I've felt about architecture as well. I think if you, if there's a good piece of design, a good piece of architecture, you don't need a description plaque and no, no, no. PhD thesis to understand it. You should walk into the space. It should lift your spirit. It should do something, give you a feeling, give you, you know, generate a response. Um, you know, not the, not the typical response of a tube station <laughs> like, no, or, no. or memory no. services, maybe something a little bit more <laughs> refined than that, but it should, it should always be something that everybody can enjoy. You know, it should not be an, an exclusive, uh, pursuit. And, and I applaud the, the work that, uh, the South Bank Center have been done, that cultural funding in, in Britain more widely has done for, for some time and that, that you're doing there now that to, to, to make that an integral part of, of the social fabric. And you've got three orchestras now. That's amazing. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I'm no, very we, jealous we, of that. <laughs> we, we do come come down anytime, sir. No, and the good thing is obviously that I'm very relieved to see at least that post lockdown, it seems that people are really, really, really missing the shared communal experience of culture, and that's not going away. And yes, we did some Zoom choir performances and a bit of home entertainment and streaming platforms, but it's nice to see that everybody really is missing that, and hopefully that should be a, a good return to normality for all of the artists, musicians, and so on as well. Yep. Yep. We need it. Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I can't wait to be uh, back over and meet up and, and visit and see the work that you're doing. Um, thank you so much for, you know, all the support and not just for what you've achieved, which is nothing shy of amazing, but also the message it sends out to everybody as well. People who are doubting themselves, which I think many of us uh, have done over the year and a half as, as well. You know, that's a, it's a fantastic inspiration. And really also thank you on a, on a, on a small level as well for, for producing this uh, stunning campaign for us this year, um, which we're enjoying a lot. I think, I'm sure you, you liked as well seeing prominently displayed in opposite Harrods and Knightsbridge and other places. No, I, I did. And, and uh, you know, the, those things that you do as a business, hiring someone like myself, um, and then me, me then having um, a lot of people that follow me see that it was me that shot mm. that Lewis campaign. There will be boys and girls who, you know, who are holding cameras that will dare to dream that they will have that opportunity. So these are the seeds that you plant that you may not even know. Um, but um, that this is change. This is mm. what you call forcing change. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. 
Thank you. That's a lovely way to end, Misan. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. See you very soon. Thanks a lot. All the best, Sam. Bye-bye. Bye.